Welcome to Dance Through the Lens, the podcast designed for parents whose children have a passion for dance. We understand the unique joys and challenges of supporting young dancers. And in this podcast, we'll share insights, tips, and heartwarming stories from fellow dance parents and experts. Whether you're a seasoned dance parent or just starting on this journey, join us as we navigate the world of dance together. Now, here are your hosts, Whitney Collins and Katie Hughes. Good morning, Katie. How are you? Good morning, Whitney. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. I am honestly still recovering from our last episode. Um, you know, it was a lot to think about. And um, yeah, I'm still still really thinking about all of it, honestly. I think that was the the purpose of doing it. The purpose of doing it was to be thought-provoking and create a starting point for us to be able to have difficult conversations in a place where we don't always have the answers, but we do have the awareness that it's something that needs to be talked about and explored from lots of different perspectives, from the medical model, from the mental health model, from the professional model, whether you're a business owner that provides photography or classes or uh, a convention, you know, all of us have different perspectives and we all have really valid ways of, of approaching these kind of difficult subjects. Yeah. And what I want the listeners to understand is that, you know, there's never any judgment. None of us want our children to be put into a dangerous situation and we do the best that we can with the information that we're given and when we know better we do better and so there's never any judgment with what parents decide or don't decide to do with their children i think that everybody's parent knows best and our job and our whole purpose of doing this is just to help people see things and think about things in a different way kim listen to the podcast and she always gives me feedback. And I think it's really cool that she listens, even though like she doesn't really have any skin in the dance game Um, that she said that something she took away from the last episode was how quickly bad things can happen in a scenario that you really didn't ever think something bad would happen. That's right. And I think with that same perspective, for me, the big takeaway was that parents can be groomed just as easily as the children and even more so because we are investing in our kids. We want what's best for them. And when people come with something like promising and shiny and exciting and new and it's intoxicating and and we want that for our kids. And I think that's really difficult because a lot of times these are people who it's like the people that you know best. They're charming. They're educated, they're credentialed, you know, and, you know, you just, you, you have to scratch the surface and see what's below and you have to ask questions. And we always, we don't always know the answer. You know, one of the things that we talked about on the podcast was um, we were talking about like dressing children, um, you know, a little bit more mature or having sassy poses become sexualized that was in my head this week. And we were also in a performance week. And so I'm taking photos of my kids and like, you know, a a sassy pose came up. I think it was like something like with like a kissy face, like, 
Um, and like my kid was having fun and I was having fun. And I was like, you know what? This isn't an issue because one to each their own and two know your audience. Like I'm not putting it out on Instagram. I'm not giving that a platform. Like that's just something between us. And she was loving it. And I didn't need to like make that a teaching moment. We were just playing. So I think that, you know, awareness is key. I think too, um, what Steven was also talking about was sort of when the facial expression is suggestive and the outfit is suggestive and the pose could be suggestive that when you have all of those things. Yeah. The compounding factors are definitely an issue and knowing your audience. Yeah. Because I went back through my own Instagram and I was like, okay, well, let me, with this information, like, let me go back through and look at all of the content that I have shared and something that I try to do. And again, like, I think that every parent, it's every parent's job to make decisions for their own children based on what they personally feel is appropriate and and not appropriate. But if I have a child that comes in with a two-piece outfit, you know, we really are one, obviously making sure that the lighting and angles and, and whatever is highlighting what we want. But two, I try to make sure that the vibe of the pose is not mature, that we're focusing on skills. I just don't want to unintentionally put a child in a situation where they all of a sudden look way more mature than they should at whatever age they are. And I think that we do a really good job of that because we're just very intentional with it. But I was like, whoa, let me go back and just make sure that I, like, I am following this advice. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, we, we, we can have missteps along the way and that happens. We're human, you know, like one of the things I want to talk about today is that like perfectionism tendency that we have. And so we have to be gracious. Like we have done our best. We do our best. We're working on it. We're talking about it. We're, we might have a sassy pose co- combined with a sassy outfit. That's part of the learning process. Absolutely. So that's what the archive button's for. Yeah. Something that I don't think that I really realized until I had kids was the amount of reparenting of my own self I was going to have to do. And um, that's been a really tough learning curve. And I think that, you know, I look back on situations from my own dance career and then I say, okay, and what was the lasting impact of that on me? And how can I parent differently, but also heal the inner child from these things, whatever they were. We all have them, right? I mean, nobody's parent is perfect. So I think that's a really good place for us to start today is with that internal voice. And what I can tell you is that just from my perspective as a photographer, when I hear a parent say they don't want to be photographed with their child because they are overweight, unprepared, whatever, don't feel good about being in photos, Those are often the dancers that also have confidence issues during their photo shoot. I find my own self really working on my dialogue with my kid um, and working on my own intrusive thoughts and voicing those fears in front of her because I don't want my negative self-talk to become her inner voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have these voices in our head, right? And and when I say that, I'm not talking about 
hearing things that aren't there. We just, we have this like review process, this conscience that we've had for as long as I can remember. Right. And a lot of times it's, you know, our parents or our teachers or our mentors and somewhere along the line, it becomes ours. It becomes our voice. One of the things I do a lot with the artist athletes that I work with is we talk about cognitive errors or thinking errors that are really typical for all people, not just artist athletes, but when you're under an immense amount of pressure um, and when you strive for perfection, which many of our dancers do, we have these thinking errors where it's all or nothing. I have my hair done, my makeup done. I'm well rested. I have the outfit on. I'm feeling good. Now I can have my picture taken. If one of those things is missing, I'm going to have a terrible picture. I don't want my photo taken, right? All or nothing thinking, black and white thinking. It's, you know, it's this way or it's this way. There's no middle ground. My foot is pointed. My angles are right. My hips are in alignment. I'm smiling. Um, if I don't have all of those things, it's not a good photo, right? Where they can't just see that there's a lot of artistry, but it might not have every single one of those elements, right? The the black and white. Um, catastrophizing, like thinking that this entire photo shoot's going to go terribly or the worst case scenario is going to happen when I step onto that stage. Um, fortune telling, I already know I'm not going to get the part. Um, I already know that my, this teacher doesn't like me. Um, there's a ton of these thinking errors. And so what I work with, with, um, you know, kind of trying to restructure, reparent these thoughts in our head is challenging the validity. You know, what's the evidence that you have, not the feeling, but what's the evidence that you have that that thought is valid, Right. And then, you know, is there an alternative truth? Is there something else that could be just as valid? And then what, what do you want to hold on to in your heart? How do you want to see yourself, your world? Like one might be comfortable because you've known it your whole life. But what would it be like if you were able to think this way for the rest of your life? It seems like to me, Katie, that these are fears. They're fear-based thoughts. And our fear is saying, whoa, this is going to make you vulnerable. So we need to protect ourselves. And if we just don't do the photo shoot, then we can't be vulnerable and we can't see something that maybe we don't want to see. And if we just go ahead and wrap our mind around, we're not going to get the part, then we won't be sad and upset and hurt if we don't get the part. So it is like a protective thing. I mean, your brain really is trying to protect you, but you can say, okay, fear, I hear you and I appreciate you, but I choose to believe. Like we can acknowledge that fear is trying to do its job. Yes. What you're describing, Whitney, is, you know, self-compassion and then acceptance commitment theory which is like, we know that anxiety is going to show up on performance day. We know that self-doubt is going to accompany us to a photo shoot. We know, like, I'm not going to tell that emotion 
that they're not invited to the party because no matter how much I block the door to keep that emotion out, I'm going to miss out on the party. Exactly. What I want to do is say, I'm going to have a party and I'm going to choose all of these great things that are going to come to my party. I'm going to choose potential. I'm going to choose inspiration. I'm going to choose motivation. I'm going to choose determination. I'm going to choose happiness. I'm going to choose fulfillment. I'm going to choose all of these things that are going to come to the party on the day of my audition or my performance. And I understand that anxiety is going to probably show up to whether I invite it or not. And that's a valid emotion. And maybe anxiety shows up and it's a symptom of caring. And maybe anxiety shows up as a symptom of uncertainty, but it's not the most valid or the most important person in the room. It's just there. Yeah. Like, Hey, Hey, this could be dangerous. This could be vulnerable. Thank you. Come along with me and let's, let's just see how this goes. You can be in the choir, but you don't get the microphone. Absolutely. I like when I go have my picture taken, I know the transformative power of a photo shoot. And every single time that I go have my photo taken, I worry, am I too big? Am I too this? Am I too tired? Am I too wrinkled? Is my hair too gray? Are my kids going to behave? I have this same, like, it doesn't even matter that I'm a professional. I have the same worries and concerns because you're being seen in a way that you're not used to being seen. And it's very vulnerable and I get it. And so for me, I have to say, okay, fear, thank you for trying to protect me from feeling vulnerable. We're just going to do it anyway. Come along. Let's go. It's just okay. What we're talking about is safety. Yeah. And sometimes those feelings of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty are important to keep us safe. That's why we have those emotions, right? Like if we put our hand on a burner and it's hot, our reaction is to pull off to keep us safe. We have the same emotions where like we have that sixth sense where we're like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Time to go. So when we talk to ourselves and anxiety starts to creep up, we can say, hey, you know what? I've checked out the situation. Everything's okay. It's going as planned. Thank you for coming. I'll let you know when I need you. But for right now, I'm going to let motivation take the stage. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the easiest emotions for, I think, you know, dancers to access on that unpleasant high energy spectrum is jealousy. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, they're, they're more turned out than I am. They have more flexibility. They have more strength. They have better gear. Who knows? And that kind of feeds into anxiety on those like audition days. And so I try to reframe it. That's another really great mental cognitive tool that you can put in your toolbox. Just reframe it. What is the twin sister of jealousy? Inspiration. Oh, I'm inspired by her. She has beautiful uh, port de bras. That's something I can work for this upcoming year. Mm -hmm. um, so reframing our thoughts like, what could anxiety also look like if it wasn't unpleasant? Anticipation, excitement. Mm -hmm. You know what's so crazy to me about jealousy? You know, because this is something that we're going to have to deal with forever. This is not a dance-centric feeling, emotion, whatever. If you're triggered by somebody or you're jealous of someone, you have to turn that mirror in and say, okay, 
what is this bringing up for me? Because it's not about that person. It's about, it's about you, right? So, you know, if I feel jealous, I have to say, okay, what is it that this is bringing up for me? What is it that, what lack, what am I lacking right now? Why is this, why is this triggering me? And I think that teaching that skill really at to a really young age, like, no, this person should be an inspiration because they're showing you what is possible. Like this can be done. And then I think, you know, there's, we, we all have a starting point, right? Mm-hmm. And I always tell my artist athletes, like, we're all born with a certain aptitude, right? And I am not impressed with the person who's born with so much aptitude and grows a little bit and is still fabulous. I'm impressed with the person who's born with average aptitude and grows a ton and is good because they have had to cultivate the skills that will help them have a long and prosperous and fulfilling career. They've learned resourcefulness. They've learned dedication. They've learned consistency. They've learned practice. They've, I mean, they've really had to overcome a lot. So, um, you know, you can, you can be frustrated. That's fair. You know, you can be jealous. That's valid too. But like you said, Whitney, look inside at what it's bringing up for you and then choose is the jealousy serving me or would, would, would a related emotion, the mere image emotion on a pleasant side be more productive? Yeah. And that's hard. That is so, so hard. And when we talk about how dance is the perfect breeding ground for teaching emotional intelligence, I think that's probably one of the most important lessons that we can use it to teach, you know? Absolutely. Reframing your thoughts, restructuring your cognitive errors, practicing grit, resiliency, gratitude, humility. I mean, all of these things, they're really important skills. And dance is the perfect ground, the perfect place to practice them. Yeah. Last week, we talked about really outward situations of abuse. But, you know, a lot of our dancers, they are perfectionists, you know, and I like to think of success, uh, like success is not pie, like success is like sun, there's plenty to go around. But in the dance world, that one dancer might get that one spot that you really hoped, or that one part you really hoped, or the scholarship you really wanted. You know, there's a lot of people going after the same opportunities. And that can lead to all sorts of things, but it can lead to dancers feeling like if I'm not perfect, then I'm not going to get this opportunity. And that causes all sorts of problems. Right. So we're talking about self-harm with like a negative thought pattern. What's difficult about dance is that a lot of it is external locus of control. Things are out of your control, right? You can do everything in the world to have that growth I just talked about and still not get the part or the scholarship or the opportunity that's out of our control. We can't do anything about it. And so a lot of times dancers turn inward to things that they can control Yep. and then they focus or fixate 
on, well, what's in my control? And if I can make that perfect, then maybe I'll get that outward external validation at the end of the day. And so what happens is with immense pressure and with perfectionism, when you're turning things inward to that internal locus of control, what's within my control? A lot of times we see the negative self-talk, but then also the more um, overt self-harming. So that gets into the restrictive and disordered eating, which typically starts as picky eating, right? I'm a picky eater. And then you, you really have to be on top of that to make sure it doesn't lead to something like ARFRID, which is avoidant restrictive intake disorder, because that, you know, has now an elevated uh, level where you're going to need a higher level of care, you know, and then that can lead to other disordered eating, um, binging, purging, and that can come in a lot of different ways. I know that traditionally we think of purging, um, you know, as like the regurgitation of food, but it can also come in a format of over-exercising or of wearing clothing that forces you to sweat. And then uh, restricting can look like all kinds of different things. So we just need to be really aware of that. Um, one of the best ways, if you're unsure, um, is just make sure you, you keep your dancer, even though they're really busy, keep them up to date with their physician. Um, make sure you're doing BMI um, checks, make sure that you're going to the dentist, making sure their teeth are healthy. They don't have too much uh, enamel erosion, doing bone density tests. All of these things are really important. And then working with a mental health professional is something I'm going to always support. So shameless plug there. Yeah. But you know what though? Like, oh man. Okay. So we live in a society that I feel is changing regarding bodies. And, um, I, and, and you too came up through a time that was just inundated with slim fast and weight watchers and Tybo and Jenny Craig and, and all the things. Right. And I think we still see that like millennial generation really struggling with body image. And I think this goes back to the reparenting thing. Like I have to be so mindful because it is so easy for me to say, oh, I shouldn't have that because, you know, I'm gaining weight or, oh, I'm too fluffy or, oh, my clothes are too tight. Like it is so ingrained in me that I probably have body dysmorphia at this point. Like the most interesting thing about me is not my thighs and how big they are or aren't. Right. But I have to every day like coach myself to show up at the weight that I am because nobody cares about it like I do. And I have to be very mindful of how I speak about it around my daughter because I just want her life and her internal voice to be different. Like I don't want her to go shopping as a 40 year old woman and beat herself up in the the changing room. And I think that in a society that celebrates thinness, we have to be really careful because you do want your dancer to be this body type. And I'm not saying thin, but like, I think we just have to be really careful with that. I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm saying it as politically correct as I could, but like. I, Whitney, I get it. And I think the dance world is evolving in a lot of ways on body types. <clears throat> and we talked about this when we were talking about programs that you should audition for, you know, look at their social media presence, look at the kind of dancers that they're celebrating, see if that's in line with your values. And, you know, if you're going to feel comfortable 
in that aesthetic and environment. But what we really need to be aware of is that it's not always about thin. You know, there's body types that are celebrated in the dance world, in, you know, the fashion world that are more voluptuous or more curvy or more muscular. And for all people, it's that feeling of I'm not enough. I'm too thin. I don't have the muscle tone. I'm, you know, too curvy. I don't have that slender aesthetic. Um, it's the hyper fixation. We are not our body parts. We are a whole person. And what I do a lot is in that reparenting is I notice my thought before I own the thought. Mm -hmm. I notice that I'm having the thought that my hair is fluffy, right? That doesn't mean I'm Katie with fluffy hair. I mean, sometimes I am, but I notice that I'm having that thought, right? Or I notice that I'm being hypercritical of my appearance today. I notice that I'm being critical of this or that. When you take a, a moment and you separate yourself from your thought, I notice that I'm having the thought of this and then take it even further. I notice that I'm noticing my thoughts. Celebrate that moment because now you're giving yourself space from these destructive thoughts to actually examine them and think, do I want to carry that around in my heart all day long? Or is that just something that's a reflex? Like when the doctor hits your knee and you kick, is that just something that comes up for me every time I come into the dressing room? Yeah. I noticed for me, it's when I'm stepping out into a vulnerable place. So for example, I have a course that I've created for dance photographers and it has all kinds of information and I fixate on my body and in my mind, I wonder, are people going to look at this and think I'm fat? What if they do? Like, who cares? You know, but it's so vulnerable, I think, because I am so afraid to fail. I'm afraid that people are going to think I'm a fraud, that people, do you know what I mean? So I think that the fear is on the surface, it's just fear. And then I'm like, okay, but if I am whatever weight I am, it doesn't impact the content that I, the message that I have to share. And so it's interesting to me because this is not my own therapy session, but it's interesting to me how all of that thought process can directly impact the way that my daughter feels about herself and the thoughts lead to, can lead to actions. Mm -hmm. And again, like what you're saying is I have no control over what people think. So I'm going to try to get myself as perfect as possible so that people can't say bad things about me and hurt my feelings. And guess what? If yeah. they do, that's more a reflection on them than it is on you because you've done your best. You've done your work, 100%. right? And you might not want that person at your party as it turns out. Yeah. So what we're doing here, right? Which is so critical, Whitney. And I appreciate you so much for giving so much great content because what you're saying is pretty much universal. And a lot of yeah. these artist athlete sessions that I conduct is that you know, we kind of snowball the situation. The situation snowballs into destructive emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. 
-hmm. And if we can separate that out to be like, hey, I'm noticing a thought. That's my automatic thought. Every time I get to be vulnerable, I know I have a thought that I'm not enough or that people are going to fixate on my appearance. Okay, I notice that I'm having that thought. That thought comes with an emotion that I don't necessarily want to harbor right now. So I thanks to automatic thought, I'm going to look at a more productive thought, my chosen thought. My chosen thought is I'm here for it. I've done my best. And I look forward to finding my people who celebrate this. Yes. And the like, people that don't celebrate you and don't celebrate it are going to remove themselves because you might be triggering things in them that they're not ready to explore. So this is not, you know, for people pleasing, this is for you and your journey and your potential and stepping into that power. And that's what I want all of our artist athletes and our dance adults to take away from this. Your automatic thoughts don't define you. They're automatic. You know, you can notice that you're having them, have a plan in place. Those thoughts just come up for me. I have the opportunity to choose in this moment, a different thought that fulfills me and furthers my mission. That chosen thought is going to cultivate a situation that gives me more control over my emotions, things that are that serve me better. When I feel like, hey, I'm putting myself out there, I'm vulnerable, but that's because I've never done this before. And today's my day to step into my power. Yeah. That gives me motivation, inspiration. I feel proud of myself, right? And then the next thing is you have to choose a behavior that solidifies that choice. And so, hey, I know I'm having some destructive thoughts. They're not serving me. I want to really celebrate my chosen thoughts and, and support them. So what plans in place do I have? I can journal. I can listen to the music that I've played for myself. I can make friendship bracelets. I can do some mindfulness activities. I can practice the breath work that I've structured with my performance coach. I can look at photos of people that make me happy that do celebrate me and know that they're in my network and they're going to be behind me when I walk through that door. Um, you know, we I have a toolbox of those, those behaviors that you have planned that feed more positive or productive thoughts that feed healthier emotions. And you can just set aside that snowball yeah, and be like, I know you're there, but I'm going to work really hard to do this restructured thought process and try this one out. And I guess my point to the listeners is that this work probably has to start with you. Like when I danced, I don't, I mean, I liked dance and I enjoyed dance and I got a lot of friendships and experiences and whatever, but you know, my ultimate goal with dance was to get something from my parents, which was validation for them to be proud of me. And I felt like my success was directly tied to, and this is how I felt. I'm not saying that this is true, but in my brain, my success or my, you know, lack of success was directly tied to what I would receive from my parents that I so desperately needed, right? I needed to hear that they were proud of me. And if I didn't win, they wouldn't be proud of me. And I'm still untangling this at 40. Like I'm still undoing this people pleasing. And that's why I think it's important that we talk about emotional intelligence and all these things, because 
This is just making your child the person they're going to be forever. Until they, until they're like 40 and go to therapy, right? Right. And so when we're giving them these tools in the toolbox and we're learning how to use them too, like we're also developing a toolbox, it's so that they're not tying their success to people pleasing. It's to help them not be 40 trying to figure out like how to be okay if people think they're FAT. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? But also good for the 40 year old trying to figure it out because that means that you still have that willingness to grow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And And I'm going to tell you, it wasn't until I had a daughter or well, kids, I mean, it's not just because I have a daughter, but it wasn't until I had children that I realized that I had a lot of unresolved childhood patterns of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, that really dictated the way that I live my life. So for me, I grew up in a household where I felt really supported. Like my mom was always like, I'm so proud of you. Like you did great. Like I never, ever felt like I wasn't meeting like the expectation. But here's the, here's the kicker. I was upset because I was like, did you not watch my performance? That was terrible. Okay. So she couldn't win. And I really don't think that there is. And so a lot of times, one of the recommendations I make when I work with a collaborative care approach with some of my artist athletes and their parents is that the parents are like, I tell them that they're great all the time. I just want them to be happy that, you know, it's not about winning. And I'm like, well, That's great, but that isn't actually client-centered. Look at your child and see what your child needs. Sometimes kids need to hear, I'm proud of you no matter what. You look beautiful. Great. Sometimes children need to hear, how do you feel about your performance before you give them praise? And you just need to be the sounding board. I hear that you're frustrated with your performance. How can I support you in the future? What would you like to do now to make yourself feel better? So there is no universal way to parent. There is no getting it right. It's just about understanding that dynamic, the relationship, putting what you wanted kind of aside. Okay, I wanted that, but what does my child need? And Katie, it's about teaching them about the tools that they have to validate their, their own self. Like, uh, like, okay. So my kids are three and there's a lot of co-regulating that goes along with three, but the idea is that I'm going to regulate my own self in those tough moments. I'm going to help them learn how to regulate themselves. And the idea is that as they grow, they will need me to co-regulate less and less. And their job becomes to regulate themselves. And my job is to regulate myself. And they don't need me for that. And I don't need them for that. And I think that like, as a parent, we feel like, well, we had to fix it. But no, like my job is to give you the tools to fix it your own self. And when we tie our validation to their response or their validation to our response, like that is just codependency, really. Right. Enmeshment. Yeah. You know, I always encourage our dancers to find a supportive community where like, you do feel like you have that space to talk and to be supported. 
to find if you don't have that organically, create it, create your own community, find someone that can help you learn emotional intelligence, regulation, coping, grit, resiliency, to have a safe place to talk about these things. That's what working with a mental health professional can provide. Do it with collaborative care. Find a great doctor that you feel comfortable with. Find a really great you know, mentor and coach. Find great training programs. And when you find your people, keep it going. Yeah. I think it can be really challenging for the kids and for the parents to kind of not get swept up in it, like in the opportunities and the auditions and the, and the things and whatever. And I think that we just have to keep recentering ourselves because I have to do that even in the photography community. Like I'll get triggered by something and then I have to say self, what is it about this that's triggering you? And is it worth, you know, the friendship, the whatever, the whatever, you know what I mean? Like when you find your community of people, the community is more important than that one audition or that one thing. It can get really easy to get resentful and jealous. And then just to cut it off, we're done. I don't like these feelings that are being brought up by this friendship or whatever. And I think it's hard because competition and collaboration, they're like two sides of the same coin, right? Because it's like you want to be with good people, right? You want your project to be great. You want to collaborate. But then the competition, like there is one role. There might only be one spot. I think when you're an adult, right? And we talked about this with like Steven and like, you know, your frontal lobe is developed and you're over 18 and you can like be like making these adult decisions and you've already developed the toolbox that we're talking about developing. That's a, a different situation. But when we're talking about kids, you have to prioritize collaboration over competition, even if you are in a competitive environment, because that's physically and psychologically more safe for children. So, you know, putting your kids in small groups like pods and having them audition together. Yes, only one of them might get it. And that might be hard to work through. But when they're together, they have someone to go to the bathroom with. They have someone in the changing room with them. They have, you know, someone to practice their regulation skills, like journaling together and laughing together and keeping it more lighthearted. And they're going to be less likely to be singled out or sequestered or groomed, right? When they when they have support, number one. Number two, if they both get in, again, it's more safe because they're traveling together. They are comfortable with each other. It's just a better environment. So as hard as it is to always feel like success is like the sun, there's enough to go around. It's hard to feel that way, especially when we're adults. Um, we have to remember for our kids, it's actually better to just be more collective and collaborative than anything else. And I, and I, and I truly believe that. Well, and I think, you know, and, and maybe I'm, I'm off base here, but it just seems like the more competitive you are, the more comparison there is. And that can also lead to those self-harm things that we were talking about. I mean, overworking the body, working through injury, not resting, that internal negative self-talk, you know, self-harming with food. It just seems like comparison really is the root of all evil, you know? 
Yeah, well, um, Thomas Jefferson said, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And we're doing this to be to be joyful, to be celebrating an art, to be connected with the spirituality within ourselves of of creation. And so, um, you know, it's lifelong. And it's something beautiful. It's a privilege to be a part of this community. We have an amazing opportunity. And so I hope everyone got something out of this podcast today. I'd love to work with anyone that's interested in collaborative care for mental health, for developing resources, restructuring cognitive thoughts, um, working on resiliency, working on the toolbox. And I will absolutely be um, happy to link some resources if you want to start that journey on your own. And if you want to work with a professional, the Doctors for Dancers link will be in um, our chat too. Awesome. And Katie, don't you have some kind of like special deal or promotion going on right now? I do. So if you go through Doctors for Dancers, you get $28 off the initial fee. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think what's really cool is that Katie can help give your dancer a toolbox that you may also need or don't have access to yet. Like I know that I am working on developing my own tools so that I can help my son and daughter with their toolboxes. But, you know, I think that like Katie, you've said this time and time again, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Absolutely. You got it. So, you know, from performance anxiety and, you know, maybe just doing some toolbox building all the way up to like my, my dancer or my performance athlete is in crisis. Like Katie has different tools and different things that can help them. So I think that it's a great opportunity for sure, especially as we get into this busy season, like it is here and it is not letting up until, well, it just doesn't ever let up, but certainly not until, you know, the summer in the summer. That's right. And so, you know, I do crisis, I do mental health triage, I do crisis stabilization, I do level of care assessments. But what I really enjoy is doing solution focused, short term preventative care. So like you said, that ounce of prevention, a pound of cure, you know, doing a six session kind of initiation package. I believe in periodization. I think it's critical for our artist athletes. So I like to do, in, you know, an intense succession. And then just to check in every once in a while during that intense performance, that competitive season, like how is your toolbox serving you? What can we do better? What do you need more support? What do you have, you know, really um, well? Like what are you utilizing? And then, you know, coming back to it when the performance season kind of softens, then load up again. That's where you do your strength building. And so I, I love creating periodized mental health and fitness and nutrition and all of that fun stuff for our artist athletes and connecting them with other resources, with other professionals that I think are also doing really supportive work. Yeah. And this is a really great time to get started. I think like with a six week you know, course, even if you do it in the beginning of January, you know, you're kind of building your toolbox in real time because a lot of dancers are going to competitions or conventions starting in January. You can have the conversation, give them something to try. They go to competition, you come back, you talk about it, what worked, what didn't, where do you need more support? And you're 
you're creating that unique toolbox for that dancer as they're experiencing these things. So it's not like retro retrospective. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's do this in real time. I think that's cool. It's real time. And the other thing that's really great is that when you have a performance coach on your team and one of those feelings do arise while performance setting, you can notice it like, oh, wow, I'm feeling anxious. And then you can send it over to me. This is one of those feelings I want to talk to Katie about when I meet with her again. So you can kind of put it aside and let your coach hold on to that emotion and just be like, oh, okay, that's what we're talking about. Katie can hold on to that anxiety for me. We can deal with it. It doesn't become the end all like, oh my gosh, I'm anxious. I'm the only one that can hold on to this emotion. It's all inside of me. You can kind of share it and let someone else hold it with you. And then you're not alone. And it's so good. I think when it's not the parent, because the parent wants to fix it and you want to help them fix it themselves. I will not work harder than my clients. They have to do the work too. Yeah. I love that. And you know, as parents, like, man, we're just we're just doing the best we can. We just don't want our our child to feel any negative emotions, but sometimes that's where the true learning and growth takes place. So I like that we can just say, hey, parent, you can take a back seat on this one. I'm going to coach your kid and, you know, let you just be in that supportive parent role. So that's cool. Awesome. Great. Link all that in the show notes. And next week, we have a special guest, um, former Rocket and current dance professional Joanna Piper is going to be joining us next week on the pod um, with a little bit more of a lighthearted holiday um, holiday special. I'm so excited for it. Awesome, Katie. Well, you have a great week and I'll see you next time. You too, Whitney. See you next time. Right, bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Dance Through the Lens. We hope you enjoyed this episode and found valuable insights to support your dancer's journey. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the future, please reach out. You can leave us a message at 912-376-9184 or email us at hello at WhitneyCollinsPhotography.com. We'll be back next week with more advice, stories, and inspiration to keep you and your dancer moving forward.